This is the Kineo Equipping Podcast. All right, well, welcome, welcome to the first week of class. Thank you guys so much for coming. Um, I'm assuming because you're here, you're either married or engaged. Uh, how many of you are married? Wow, most. Okay, who's engaged? We got we got two couples. Wow, awesome. When 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 are you guys getting married? July third. July third and. That's awesome. Oh, another engaged couple. Hey, oh, <laughs> we got three. Awesome. Three engaged couples. <laughs> awesome, awesome. So uh, we'll just real, real quick introduce ourselves, and then we've got a few um, like housekeeping things, and then uh, and then we'll get into it. So uh, my name's Jake. This is my wife Sarah. We've been married for 11 years, and we've got two kiddos at home, and yeah, we uh, we met in. Middle school, really. Uh, I remember him in third grade. Yeah, so we went to the. He doesn't remember me till sixth grade. So. Yeah. <laughs> girls were still very yucky in <laughs> in elementary school. So. You weren't girls. Yeah, I said girls. <laughs> girls were yucky. I wasn't yucky. Um, so, uh, yeah. So Sarah's parents volunteered in our in our youth ministry. We went to a fairly large church, and so it was more of a regional, kind of like Candeo, honestly, where. People kind of came from all over, and so uh, Sarah's parents volunteered in the youth ministry. I became friends with Sarah's brother, who's two years older mm-hmm. than you, and so I started hanging out with Matt, um, and then obviously got to know Sarah, and we were friends for years before uh, we ever started dating You're in high school. Mm-hmm. So we're high school sweethearts. Um, and then after high school, uh, I moved away to Chicago, and. We did the long distance thing, uh, which was sanctifying. And it was awful. <laughs> it was sanctifying. Um, yeah, and then we got, we got engaged um, sophomore year mm-hmm. of college and uh, got married just before uh, my junior year started. So yeah, then we moved back to Des Moines. I uh, went from Chicago to Des Moines, which felt like a big step down in size. Uh, and then from Des Moines to here, which was another big step down in size. Uh, not in quality, just in no. size. It's very different. Um, yeah, so anything you would add to that? To our story? Yeah, I don't oh, know. Oh, there's a lot more I could share about brief, our story. Brief, brief. <laughs> anything no. that would be, OK. No. Um, Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> so over the years, this class has evolved. And so uh, if you would have jumped into this class maybe even two years ago, it would have been, I think, twice as long, right? Mm-hmm. So what we've really tried to do is we've tried to continue to condense things um, so that it's still helpful, uh, but not so drawn out. So hopefully it's a blessing to you to only be only commit to like four weeks of something as opposed to eight weeks of something like this. Uh, I would say if you, if you miss a class session for any reason, um, we're gonna we're recording the audio of all of our class sessions. We put it on the Candeo Equipping Podcast. That's in iTunes or Spotify. You can listen to it uh, later on in the week so you can catch up on the instruction. Um, hopefully it made sense uh, at the beginning of your study guide, the before class and in class um, aspects of this. Uh, it kind of goes back and forth, so thanks for just following along. But the reason for that is because we really want, as you're kind of going through uh, reading the book and as you're going through the study guide, for you to kind of have already put in some mental work into, uh, into the content before we even jump into it in class. And honestly, one of the things that we do in premarital counseling uh, with couples is really our role 
and that is mainly to facilitate discussion uh, between the like the individuals in the in that relationship. So we have them do some pre-class reading. We say, hey, uh, discuss this as a couple, you know, before you even meet up with us. And then really, all we do is we go, how'd that discussion go? And then we just it's kind of choose your own adventure after that. You know, it's like, what points of conflict did you have? What what things were you kind of off on? Stuff like that. With this class, what we would really encourage you to do, especially with that before class work, um, it'd be great if you as a couple could at some point like be discussing and interacting with the content together, even before you come to the class session. Because uh, part of paring down the classes it has been removing uh, the in-class table discussion pretty substantially. Because uh, honestly, couples are so different, you guys, each of you have different backgrounds. You're coming to the table with different things. And so it really makes sense for you to talk more as a couple than it necessarily does for you to talk as, <clears throat> as couples. Um, though we don't discourage you, obviously, from making some friends in here or whatever. But a bulk of our class time uh, is going to be more instructive in nature and probably like large group conversation as opposed to going, all right, as a couple or as a table, go talk about this. You know, we're like, how beneficial is that? As a couple, it's beneficial, but you can do that on your own time. So uh, yeah, that's kind of the format of the class. Sarah and I are teaching this first one, and then you've got, um, uh, oh, it's in there. Matt and Emily Hoford are teaching uh, half the class, and then Adam and Christina Hannon are jumping in uh, with us too. So, so those are the instructors for the class. Always feel free to reach out uh, to any of us at any point along the way, or even after the class. We'd really love to be able to interact with you uh, it, whether you're walking towards marriage and engagement or whether you've been married for a while, um, we'll try to help as much as we can. I mean, we've been married 11 years. Some of you in here have been married longer than we have. So uh, if we can't help you, we can certainly point you to some people who, uh, who can. So uh, let's, uh, we wanted to start off, Sarah asked a really great question as we were preparing for this. Uh, she was like, what are, the, what are the three things that you would want to say to a room full of married people or engaged people? as relates to marriage. Like, like apart from the notes, apart from the reading, uh, this is our one chance. Like, this is the one class we're teaching. So what are three things um, that you would want to say? And so we just kind of like, I made a list of three, Sarah made a list of three. So why don't you start off with your list? This is like totally free, and this doesn't really have really anything to do probably with what we're going to get into. But yeah, we just wanted to I spill this, it out there I for you. I thought this was a fun way to just be like, hey, this is us. because. I, I like this first session, but it also, it's more of like the, what is like the basis of marriage? You know, what does the Bible say about marriage? So it doesn't give a whole lot of space to like share like a little bit about us. And I always feel more comfortable listening to someone who you know more about. So my top three things, um, and this is just like, we, last night we were just like, okay, what are three things? So. I'm sure tonight I will think of more, which is annoying because I'm like, ah, I missed my chance. But top three, first thing would be just to have fun. Pursue friendship with your spouse, no matter how long you've been married, um, and make that a priority, whether that be um, putting the kids to bed early and playing games or um, putting in your budget to go out on dates. Uh, just make a priority to be friends. Uh, try new things. That's a great way to really make yourself look like a fool and have a lot of fun to try new things. Um, can, I, can I add to that real quick? One of the things that's helpful in that is... Uh, you said we were going to do I'm bullet sorry. points. I'm sorry. It's just so good. <laughs> find, a, <laughs> find a hobby that you're both bad at. 
That's what we, because like we tried to do the, oh, you like, you like playing, you like biking. And so. We still bike together. Yeah, but you not for a workout. Yeah. <laughs> like we would try to do things that one of us really enjoyed and then we'd just get mad at each other. So yeah. it was like, all right, we're just going to, we're just going to paint because we're both bad at that. <laughs> and there was no competition and it was, it was actually pretty fun. Yeah. So. Um, Second one would be say yes as often as possible. And I'm going to let um, Matt and Emily talk more about this in their time talking about intimacy. But that's something that has really grown our marriage is just um, in your intimacy, say yes as often as possible. Whenever you can say yes, do it because that is the best way to love and serve your spouse. And it's always about loving the other person, not about what you can gain or get. So I'm going to let you guys fill that in, Emily, but that has really changed our marriage a lot. Um, and the last one is fun money um, because With budgeting, yeah. we budgeting for us a few, I don't know, probably three years into marriage, we just kept having conflict over the little things where I'd come home with a scarf or a purse or whatever, and Jake would be like, oh my gosh, you're always coming home with something. And I'm like, it was only $3. It was so cute. And I Dr. just- Dr. 100 scarves. <laughs> That's $300. <laughs> and then he would like go and buy this really expensive pedal every once in a while. And we were like keeping like a mental log That's almost. for guitar, for the non- Yeah, sorry. Okay. Yeah. Pedal. Um, so we, put in our budget monthly fun money and you can't question what they spend their money on as long as it's legal. <laughs> um, so currently I have probably, well I guess it's a new month, but last month I had zero left of my fun money and he had a bunch of it because he's the saver and buys a big thing and I just spend it on fun things. Yeah. But that's okay. It so those are my top three away. things. Okay. You got to go quick, though. I'm sorry. Uh, I haven't even started, and you're rushing me. Um, sorry. So, so my top three things uh, was the the best thing that you can give give to your spouse is someone who loves and pursues Jesus. Uh, I think a lot of times with relationships, with marriages, or whatever, um, especially early on, it can get it can be real easy to get tunneled vision on like, oh, I just want to really focus on them. I want to focus, like the best thing I can give them is my attention. And it's like, actually the best thing you can give them is someone whose attention is first focused on Christ. Because you're, you're not going to be able to love them in the way that you were designed to love your spouse if you're not focusing on Jesus and pursuing after him. Um, so that's my first thing. Second thing, uh, this, is, this is specifically for the men. Uh, be active leaders in your home. Be active participants in your home. Be active servants in your home. Uh, we as men should go to bed every night having exhausted ourselves, both in our work, like in our profession, and in being servants in our home. Uh, it, it'd be a real stupid thing if you serve your customers more than you serve your wife and more than you serve your kids. Like men, be active leaders, active servants in your home. Don't just come home and automatically flip on the TV or automatically turn on the video games or it's like, or just put your feet up or whatever. It's like, no, take, take two minutes when you're in the driveway, take your work hat off, put your servant hat on and come into the house ready to engage with your family, ready to serve your wife who maybe she's had a long day at work or maybe she's had a long day at home if she stays home with the kids. Like, Come ready to be active and, and seek to serve your family. And then when they go to bed, may, maybe that's when you've got your hobby time. 
But if not, uh, it's okay to go to bed uh, totally exhausted doing the right things. And don't be afraid of burnout because uh, if you're indwelled by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will empower you as you're walking in obedience to him, which is serving your wife and your family uh, in a self-sacrificial way. So that's specifically for the men. Um, the third thing is, uh, is every marriage needs a compost pile. Uh, I kind of stole this from John Piper. I thought it was so brilliant. It, he's like, every marriage needs a compost pile. Uh, and what that means is that a lot, it's, it's easy for us uh, to think that the, thing, the things that annoy me about Sarah are sin issues in her life. When actually, it's most often not because she's sinning, it's just because we have different preferences. She's just a different person. Now that's not sinful, that's just life, you know? And so to take those things where it's like these little things that might annoy me about, about the way she does things or where she puts things in the kitchen or how, whatever it is, it's like take that thing, close your mouth, and go throw it in the compost pile, like the metaphorical compost pile. And then enjoy the rest of the green, lush yard that is the joys of your marriage. Like, and a lot of people can camp out by a compost pile where it's like, yeah, I've, I've kind of set that aside. I, you know, I've, I've gotten over it, but I, you kind of camp out next to it. And it's like, but it still smells. and I'm still really aware of it. And it still really bugs me. And I'm kind of jaded about it. It's like, no, take your preferences, throw them in the compost pile, seek to serve and love one another and enjoy, enjoy your marriage and make your fights good fights, like about the right things. I, I find myself wanting to fight about really stupid things that end up being preferential. Um, it's like, no, let's actually have our, our uh, discussions and disagreements and conflict be about substantial things, not about stupid things. So, um, yeah, that's kind of our three things. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we just wanted to get those out there for you. Those are for free, by the way. That wasn't, <laughs> that wasn't included <coughs> in the cost I'd of like class. I'd like to hear what your guys' is. Um, so if you want yeah. to do that next week, Emily. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. So um, as we started off, we're getting into the purpose, roles, and responsibilities. We squished two class sessions together. And so we're going to try to fly through this, uh, not because it's not important, but because we do want to get, we do want to have time at the end to be able to uh, answer any questions uh, that you have or to, to have some dialogue uh, towards the end. So right at the beginning in your study guide, uh, if you want to turn to that on page one, um, in one to two sentences, write out what you currently believe to be the purpose of marriage. And so this was put on the front end on purpose so that hopefully by the time you got done with the reading or by the time you got done going through the study guide, uh, you're able to see, oh, maybe how has my perspective changed on this? Uh, or how is it? How has my perspective been influenced on this? What, uh, like, regarding what the purpose of marriage is? What were some of the things that you put, like, as you started the study guide, like, right off the cuff? You know, when I when I first started this, here's what I thought the purpose of marriage was. I just put a list of words because I'm short with words sometimes. Okay. I put friendship, love, companionship, growth, support. Yeah. You got, you got all your commas in there. That's yeah, good. <laughs> That's good. What, what else did you put? No shame here. Someone you share your love with and someone you grow in Christ with. Mm. Which really wasn't a focus when we got married. I didn't think mm. about that. So 
Yeah, that's awesome. How long have you guys been married? Awesome. That's fantastic. Maybe one more. What did you What did you put initially? Supporting each other. Supporting each other. Purpose of the marriage is to support each other. I got a massive paper cut. <laughs> Sorry. That hurts a lot. How did I do that? <laughs> okay. Sorry. I was like, Are you okay. I'm okay. All right. Um, yeah. So hopefully by the end of these next four weeks, you'll be able to answer that um, confidently and know this is the purpose of marriage. Um, but we wanted to start um, in scripture to focus on what does God say um, marriage should look like. So if you have your Bible, open up to Ephesians 5. And we're going to be in Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. Let you guys open it up. If someone has it, um, just go ahead and read it for us loud and clear so we can hear you. Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Awesome. Thanks, Adam. So this is referring to Christ and the church and husbands and wives. So they're drawing a parallel between Christ and the church and husbands and wives. So one of your first questions there was, what is God calling the wife to do? The wife is to respect her husband just as the church is to submit to Christ. And I love how this passage starts because it starts, it's flowing out of how are we to walk in love towards each other. It's talking about a relationship between the church and the body of Christ. And it starts on verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So we are all to be submissive people. It's not just women are the only submissive people that God has created. We're all to be submitting to someone and all of us should be submitting to one another in reverence to Christ. That's how it starts off. But then specifically, wives are submit to, to submit to their husbands um, as to the Lord. And something that has changed my perspective a lot on this is I grew up thinking, okay, one, submission is just a bad word. I don't really like it. It's kind of like telling your kids to obey. You feel kind of like a thumbs on you. But 
when I realize that we're all supposed to be submissive to Christ and that I'm to submit to my husband and then my husband is to submit to the Lord. And so he understands what submission looks like also. He's, he's not you know, just out being able to do whatever he wants. So I can submit to him and he can submit to the Lord. And we are to submit to our husbands as to the Lord, which is glorifying the Lord. Um, and we'll talk more about that as we get more into the rest of the passages. But um, our husband is to love the wife as Christ loves the church. And that's in a self-sacrificial way. And honestly, I think they have the harder thing to do um, because Christ loves his church. He gave his life up for the church. And that's how the husband is supposed to love the wife. Um, another passage that talks about this is 2 Corinthians 6, 14-18. Do you want to read that for us? Yeah. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 6, 14-18 uh, says this. Don't become partners with those who do not believe. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? What agreement does Christ have with Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? And what agreement does the temple of God have with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will dwell and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch anything unclean. Do, do not touch any unclean thing, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you will be, my, and you will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord. Almighty, And so what this passage is talking about is, is to not be unequally yoked, right? To not be uh, unequally unified, connected believers and unbelievers, uh, particularly in marriage. Because what's so interesting about this uh, Second Corinthians text is that it, it then goes back and quotes a passage from the Old Testament. If you remember, in the Old Testament, what God called his people Israel to do was he called them out of Egypt and said, don't marry people from other nations. Now, what you could go is like, wow, was, was that because uh, God's racist? Like, no, the reason he told people not to marry the Israelites, not to marry people from other nations wasn't because of ethnic reasons, it was because of religious reasons, because other nations served other gods. We're not used to this because we live in a, plural, a pluralistic society where to marry someone you know, from a different state doesn't mean we're marrying someone who's, who worships a different god. But for them, like nations were often defined by the type of religious practices that they had, the types of gods that they worshipped. And so what God was telling his people is don't intermarry between nations who, who serve other gods uh, because inevitably what will happen is that you'll begin to adopt the gods of their culture. You'll begin to worship the gods of their culture. Compromise will begin to seep in and they will pull you away from the one true God to serve gods who aren't God. And so what Paul's talking about here in 2 Corinthians 6 is don't, in the same way, don't be married to people who don't share the same faith and values that you have. And so uh, how does this practically happen as a married couple? Through an alignment of faith and values. So for, this is why at the very beginning of the study guide, um, there was a section for you to be able to write out uh, like your spouse's testimony or how God's working in their life. Uh, the reason for that is because that's really important. Um, now many of you are already married, okay? And so you, you may have already like moved past this or you may go like, wow, when we first got married, like I was a believer, she wasn't a believer or however that was. Um, 
regardless of where you're at, an alignment of faith and values is absolutely fundamentally important for the, the strength of your marriage and the longevity of your marriage. Um, because marrying someone who doesn't share a similar commitment to your faith will most often result in compromise uh, in your own spiritual life. And so to be really aligned in those two things, and I'll just say this about the values portion, uh, it, is, it is a really worthwhile exercise for you as a married couple or as an engaged couple to sit down and go, okay, what, what do we value? And, and you go, okay, how do I do that? Just sit down sometime this week and just create some broad categories. So just go like money, family time, um, hobbies, uh, church involvement. Um, what are some other areas? Uh, this isn't like a, I, can't, I don't have a chapter and verse for this, but like some broad categories and go, okay, what do we want our family value of this to be? What do we want how we act to reflect this value? So for us, early on in our marriage, we sat down and, and spent a few hours just kind of creating some categories and going, what kind of family do we want to be? How, how do we want to approach our money? Okay, we want, we want to be people who are defined by generosity. What does that look like? Okay, that looks like uh, giving to our local church and also setting aside a line on our budget for uh, for monthly generosity uh, on top of our regular giving so that we can meet the needs of people in a real immediate sort of way. Okay, uh, health. How do we view, um, how do we want to view our family's like active life? Oh, we want to be an active family. So that means that we're going to value working out. We're going to value eating right. And that means that we're going to we're going to set aside money in our budget to have a gym membership and we're going to make our food budget a little bit more so that we can uh, buy healthy food and not crap, you know, because we value that. I'm not saying that has to be your values. I'm just saying we just kind of walk through these different categories um, and got on the same page as far as what we value. And honestly, that, that helps a lot when you start getting in conflict because most often your conflict, if it's not simply about preferences, it's usually about values where they're valuing something at a different level than you're valuing it. Uh, they're maybe, maybe your wife's upset because, oh man, it just seems like right after the kids go to bed, you go to the gym, that's what we do. And so it's like, like well yeah, be, but that's okay because we've talked about this as a value because we wanna be physically active and that's the time where I'm able to do that and, and I'm able to make time for Sarah to do that. So alignment and faith first, uh, clearly, like are you on the same page? Like, are you both believers? Are, where are you at in your commitment to your walk with Christ? Like, are you aligned in that value? Um, and, then, uh, and then what are the other values that you have? Like, get aligned in your values. This, this isn't a silver bullet to eliminate all conflict in your marriage, but it is a really foundational thing um, as we talk about, uh, yeah, relating to one another in a really healthy way. So, uh, so we, this practically happens as a married couple through an alignment of faith and values. Um, this seems, this seems probably out of left field, but uh, we wanted to speak a little bit to idolatry because of, of what something can often happen. I alluded to it earlier in married relationships. So here's, here's, a, here's Tim Keller's definition of an idol. He says, an idol is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, and anything that you seek to give you what only God can give. I'll read that again. 
An idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. And anything that you seek to give you what only God can give. The reality is that our, our marriages are gifts from God. Our spouses are gifts from God. Our children are gifts from God. Like these are good gifts that can often, these good things can often become God things. Where all of a sudden we're looking to our spouse to be for us what only God can be, to fulfill for us what only God can fulfill. And we end up putting the weight of our hopes, dreams, aspirations, needs, like the, the, the full weight of, of who we, you know, of, of what we think will complete us. If we end up putting that on our spouses, that's a crushing weight to bear. That's a weight that no human can bear. And so, but so often it can happen where we look to our spouses to be for us what only God can be for us. I didn't know if you had any examples of kind yeah. of what that looks like. So this is something that God really um, has taught me and continues to teach me. And um, that's just, what, is it, what does it look like to idolize Jake? And what are the dangers of that? And it's a good thing if you really love your spouse. And that's not a bad thing to really love your spouse and really enjoy your spouse. So don't hear me say that, but it is a dangerous thing when you take a good gift from God and turn it into God itself. And um, several years ago, we were going through just a lot of change and um, Jake was going through a lot of just different struggles and physically and job change and everything. And that's scary as a wife to see your husband wrestle with things and have a hard time. And I started going like, oh my gosh, what is going on? I, I just panic almost like my rock is no longer like a rock, if that makes sense. And God was doing a great work in Jake's life and really sanctifying and moving us here. And I mean, it, it was all good things, but I realized that I had put my anchor in him and when he became unsteady, I was unsteady rather than my anchor, my, my God should be God alone. And if something were to happen to Jake, I should be able to stand firm on the solid rock that God is. And a verse that really um, just ministered to me was Psalm 73, 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is a strength in my heart and portion forever. So we should be able to look around on earth, whether we're tempted to find idols in our children or our friends or our spouse, we should be able to look around and say, whom have, have I here? No one besides God and God should be God alone in our life. And so that's something that I continue to bring before the Lord that I'm not finding my strength, my identity, my comfort in my spouse, but uh, that I can look to God as that and then run alongside my spouse. Um, and that also takes the weight off of Jake to um, be what he can't be for me um, mm. because that's too much weight for anyone to bear, whether that be you're trying to find that in a friend or your kids. Um, that's just a lot of weight. Um, so that's a continual thing that I have to continue to learn. Uh, but that's an example in our life of just what does it look like to struggle with that and idolize your 
your spouse um, and hopefully as I've learned it's kind of freed you to not have to be the rock God <laughs> the stability I should say of my life um, well and this plays out like real at a real practical level and this is again back to the values conversation where um, especially early on in marriage uh, and may, maybe you experienced this, maybe you didn't, but we find a lot of like newly married couples uh, get very, very territorial about their time together. Now, that makes sense, right? It's like, wow, newly married, I want to be with them all the time, or you know, all this stuff. And what, but what can end up happening is, is that, uh, is that the, they can get so focused on looking at each other that they, that they lose their sense of mission. Like the reason why. Uh, God has given you your spouse, uh, and we'll kind of get into this a little bit later, um, wasn't so that you could just stand there and have a friend. It was so that you could fulfill a greater purpose than either one of you could do individually. Like you were given your spouse so that because, they, because you could fulfill God's purpose for your life, for His glory, in a much greater way with them than you could alone. But what happens is, is when couples just like continue, like they're only like face to face all the time, and they never get shoulder to shoulder, and are going in the same direction in the mission of the kingdom of God. Like that's where it short circuits, and they, it almost becomes cannibalistic, where it's like, wow, like I want, I want every night for it to be us, and it's almost like every night's a date night, right? And it's like, where in the world is there room for hospitality? Where in the where in the world is there room for? Uh, being somewhere out and like like being on mission. Where is the where in the world is there room for uh, for serving the rest of the church body? If if your only focus is, I just want to make sure that we have as much us time as possible. Um, and we run into couples that it's like I think part of the reason uh, why you're having some issues here is because you're actually around each other too much. Like you, you've lost your sense of mission because you thought your mission was to just spend time with them and hang out with them. It's and like to make them happy. And to make them happy. Yeah. It's like, man, you, you got a greater mission than just each other's happiness here. There's something bigger there. So, so the purpose of marriage. Yeah, so if we could put it in one sentence, the purpose of marriage is to put on display the relationship between Christ and the church as husbands sacrificially love their wives and wives submit to the leadership of their husband. So I'll say that again. The purpose of marriage is to put on display the relationship between Christ and the church as husbands sacrificially love their wives and wives submit to the leadership of their husband. So that's the purpose of marriage. And now we're going to work into roles and responsibilities um, and how that practically plays out. So you read, you read a few passages in Genesis. Um, and part of the reason why uh, we go back to Genesis for the purpose of marriage is one, because that's where the first marriage was. And two, that's often in the New Testament when Paul is talking in, uh, uh, in let's say, let's say uh, 2 Timothy about uh, the roles and responsibilities of men and women. What's, what's appealed to isn't cultural standards, but it's actually the order of creation. Um, one of the things that's so beautiful in God's design as it relates to roles and responsibilities is that as you read, it's particularly in that Genesis 2 passage, uh, the reason for the creation, uh, how, how would I say this? 
the reason for the creation of Eve wasn't primarily to create someone different than Adam. It was to create someone similar to Adam. The basis of Eve's, of Eve's creation isn't first difference. It's first similarity. So what we see in Genesis is that Adam, that God gives Adam the role of like, hey, name the animals. Adam's naming the animals. And in that recognizes that every animal has another animal according to their kind. And Adam looks around and goes, I don't have anyone according to my kind. Like, I don't have, like, they've got, they've got someone like them. I don't have anyone like me. Like, to come alongside me here in this. And so God, it, because it's Adam and God, like why in the, that's like the perfect scenario, right? It's like, why would Adam need anything when it's just him and God? It's like, well, God, they're not of like kind. Like Adam and God are still different. And so God creates Eve uh, according to the likeness of Adam, not to, not to first highlight their differences, but to first highlight their similarities. And this is where we get like equal in worth. They're both created in the image of God. The whole reason for Eve's creation first was not because of difference, but because of sameness. And that's really important because, because as we talk about roles and responsibilities, it can get real easy. As we talk about submission and leadership, it can get real easy to begin to uh, take difference in roles and apply, uh, make that a value statement. Like, oh, well, the woman is of lesser value because because her role is this. And it's like, no, from the very beginning, back in Genesis 2, the reason for Eve's creation was first so that Adam would have someone of like kind uh, with him. And I think that's really important. We, we need to even, so Kandeo is a complementarian church, which means we believe that men and women are equal in worth and have different roles. And we think that that primarily expresses itself in the context of the church and in the context of the home. Uh, those are the two main contexts that we see that in. In the workplace, it, in, in my opinion, it's like I don't expect complementarian roles to be expressed in the workplace because that's not the context that uh, we see in Scripture. But it, they are to be expressed in the church and in the home. What can happen, though, in, in a, a very start, like staunch complementarian view is that the emphasis of differences overrides the emphasis of sameness mm -hmm. and the emphasis of worth. And what we're trying to do is we don't want to lose that either because <coughs> that's, that's fundamentally important, particularly as it relates to how does the husband serve the wife? Uh, how does the husband view his wife? It's not just that she's like a second-class citizen in the home. It's like, no, no, no. God created women and wives to be of equal worth and value in the home, and husbands ought to serve them uh, in the same way that they would serve themselves because we are of equal worth. So that's where that first part of uh, roles and responsibility comes in. We need that framework of sameness to understand then the framework of differences, so. Yeah, so just real quick, by raise of hands, who of the women took the Genesis study last semester? So you remember as, as God was creating all the animals and Adam's naming them, you remember that, that portion of scripture where Adam's looking at all of the animals and he's naming them and he's, he's looking and then, and then at that point, that's where it says, like God says, I'm gonna make you a helper. And then it's almost like Adam says, wow, someone like me. And so quickly, at least 
for me growing up, it was we would go straight to that passage and say, look, you guys are different. You have different roles. You're supposed to be a helper. He's supposed to be the leader. But it's like, no. And this was the beautiful thing about this passage is Adam was saying, no, this is like me. This is like my kind. So when we talk about roles and when we talk about the responsibilities in marriage, it's the beautiful picture that we are in this together. God created us like one another in the image of God to, for the purpose of glorifying him and putting on display a beautiful picture of Christ and his church. So um, when God says that he's going to create a helper fit for Adam, what does that mean? Uh, a helper just means a person who contributes to the fulfillment of a need or furtherance of an effort or purpose. So in my mind, I think of someone who completes so that you can fulfill this purpose. Um, maybe you think of like a cog in a, in a clock. Um, there, you need both sides for it to work. So if you just have one person, you're not going to fulfill the role that God has asked for marriages to fulfill. So you need both sides. That doesn't mean that one is lesser value. It just means you both need to be doing different things for it to actually work together. Or on a team, you need different people to be doing different things on a team for it to work and to go well. If we're all, if we're all a quarterback, like that's not going to work. Um, and even just to fulfill the mission of the team, you have to have different players in different positions. So again, they're, they're not different in value. You just need to recognize that we are on the same team, but we have to be doing different things in order to complete this task. So <clears throat> think of it as a completer, not different. Um, so Eve is given to Adam to help him because he could not fulfill God's purpose for him alone. I uh, think one plus one equals three. That We've talked about that a lot, but God is in our midst and he's to help us complete this for his glory. So Jake's kind of already said this, but um, God sees men and women as equal in worth, yet different in roles. And so Seth will like this, but uh, so what this looks like, real practically, I, I think through things and analogies, right? So um, it's like notes on a guitar or strings on a guitar, you could say it that way. Um, here, here's what culture tries to, here's what our culture tries to do when, when you only, uh, when you reject the difference in roles, the difference in, um, not difference in purpose, but difference in the, the way that, that uh, men and women contribute to the purpose of glorifying God to the ends of the earth, which is what uh, Genesis 1, 27 is talking about. Like God creates Adam and Eve and says, then says, be fruitful and multiply. Adam couldn't do that himself. He wasn't asexual, right? He's not a seahorse. Are seahorses asexual? Whatever animal, you know, like he, he literally couldn't do that by himself. Like he needs Eve. But also just in general, in, in spreading the glory of God to the ends of the earth, Adam needed someone to complete him in his ability to do that purpose. Um, now, while they're equal in worth, they are different in roles. And it's like notes on a guitar. So here, here's what culture tries to do. So this is a G. This is the, a G note. So that's, it's like, okay. Culture's like, well, men... You're just the low, you're just the low G. And women, 
You're just the high G. You just have a higher voice. That's, that's all. You guys are the same. Same note. No difference. You're same frets, same everything's the same. You just, you just have different plumbing and you just have different voices. Like, that's it. No difference, right? How boring. If you go to second service and Evan plays every song like this, that's it. That's it. Like, but beautiful music, things that make, th things that make our ears like perk up and go, ah, aren't when we just play octaves. It's like, oh, so you got, you got G notes, but what about G chords? Like a chord is one chord made up of different notes. Okay, so we got the G. So we got G's there. So let's add in the B. Okay. So we got, so then we'll add in the D. Okay, now we're making up a chord here. And then we add in the other notes. And that's a G chord made up of five different notes, right? Now, don't think that's not an analogy for polygamy, but, <laughs> like, but the principle applies, right? And it's like, you can play G like this, you can play G like this, but it's still got different notes. You can play G like this. It's, it's you know, higher up there. You can play G like this. But see how the difference in the notes actually contributes to the beauty of the sound. And that's what is happening here. When God created men and women, he created them equal in worth. What, what happens when you're playing and, and one of your strings breaks? Most often the whole thing goes out of tune, right? Like you gotta retune, something's off, right? Like all the strings are equal in worth. It feels really weird to play a guitar with five strings. Like that's, that's just off. It feels off, it sounds off, because it is off. All of these strings have equal worth, but that doesn't mean that each string plays the same exact note, because that's not a beautiful sound. And what God did in creating men and women with equal in worth, but difference in roles, is that he said that is the most beautiful way for humanity to, to flourish and to spread my glory to the ends of the earth. That's the most beautiful way to do it. And so uh, that was helpful for me. Maybe it wasn't for you, but um, just by way of, of illustration there. And so um, we're going to give a quick summary on the biblical uh, teaching of this. We're going to say a few of the same things, um, but then we're going to get into some Q&A time here. Yeah. So the roles God is calling us to live out in our marriages are to reflect a picture of Christ and the church that's found in Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. Uh, that's what we read earlier. But this is why divorce is such a big deal because we are the picture, the picture of Christ and his church. And when we choose to divorce, that's showing the world that Christ will, can and will divorce his church. And that's not true. That's not what we believe. We don't believe that Christ will ever leave his church or stop loving his church. So divorce is a big deal because we are a picture of Christ in his church. Um, there's a lot more on that, but we'll just stop there. Particular roles and responsibilities, this is number two, do not reflect value, but instead reflect purpose and order. Value was established at creation and validated in the gospel. So we're both made in the image of God. We saw that in Genesis. 
we both relate directly to God and we're both equally re redeemed by Christ. And um, this is just kind of a random quote, but just a way to explain this. We're both equally redeemed by Christ. It's not like Christ saved men and not women. Christ looks at us and sees us all as, as brothers and sisters in Christ. We're redeemed by God by the same blood of Christ. Um, and Elizabeth Elliot put this beautifully. Um, I was reading in her book, Suffering is Never for Nothing. Um, <clears throat> and she says, I'm not a different kind of Christian because I'm a woman, but I most certainly ought to be a different kind of woman because I'm a Christian. So we are to be different type of women in culture. So someone should be able to look at us and say, wow, you're, you're just kind of different than my other female coworkers or my other female neighbors. But we're not looked at by God as a different, because we're a woman, we're still redeemed by God. The same blood bought us as it did men. So we're equally, equally redeemed by Christ and Christ is the example for both. Um, so you've got some verses there. Um, did you have, oh, you've got 1 Corinthians. I was just gonna go to Galatians 3, 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you're a Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So we're all heirs of God, not because we're men and women. God looks at us all as his children. Do you want to do number three? Yeah. Roles and responsibilities were, were ordained by God in creation before sin and apart from culture. Before sin and apart from culture. Um, one of the narratives of our culture is that uh, the view toward the biblical understanding of differences in roles is that, well, that's a, that's, a, that's a result of some sort of oppressive patriarchy, that's a result of sin, and or was uh, specifically cultural at that time. Like, well, we can't really read what the Bible says as, as applying to us now because their culture was just entirely different. Um, but what we see is, like I said before, when it gets into the roles of men and women within the church and within the home, the appeal uh, isn't made specifically to the culture of that time, but Paul takes it all the way back to the order of creation. And so, and that was, that was before the fall in Genesis 3, like the creation account is in Genesis 1 and 2, uh, and that's before like culture really existed. Like the culture at the time was, was an idealistic state between humanity and God. Like, what Paul is saying is like the reason for these distinctions and roles is because when we look to the order of creation, what we see is that that is how God has designed human flourishing to work best, is with these similar, like equal in worth, different in roles. And so um, the, the, the interesting thing though, as it applies to culture, is that uh, the really revolutionary thing about um, about biblical manhood and womanhood as it relates to worth and roles is that in the New Testament when Paul would be talking about the, uh, would be elevating the worth of women, the scandalous thing about this conversation was that women were being elevated as being equal in worth. Like that was the scandalous thing. 
It was like, yeah, now the Christians of the first century, it's like, wait, they view women very differently. They view their wives very differently. And the difference in which they view their wives is actually an elevation of their worth. Like seeing that they are both co-heirs with Christ. Like that God hasn't, like that the woman isn't redeemed through her husband, but is redeemed in, in equal proportion to her husband through the blood of Christ. Like that was the scandalous thing. You know, for them, it was like, oh my gosh, how in the world could you value a woman as equal to a man? Now for us, like, we flipped the scandal, right? Where it's like, now the scandalous thing is, isn't the equal and worth thing, now it's the difference in roles thing. That culture, it was like, oh yeah, total difference in roles because of difference in worth. Our culture is like, oh my gosh, well yeah, obviously sameness in, in worth, but what are you talking about this difference in role stuff? Like it automatically goes to a competency thing. When it's like, no, 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 we're not talking about men being more competent than women in, in any way. Women in a lot of ways are more competent than men in a lot of things, right? <laughs> like, you know, uh, maybe maybe like, like, like masonry work might be different, you know, but like there's a lot of things women, like Sarah's way better. Masonry? Well, it's just like a lot of bricks. <laughs> like that's the thing I thought of. It's, yeah, whatever. Or war, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but the but the reason for the difference in roles isn't isn't rooted in competency. It isn't rooted in in the fallenness of humanity, and it isn't rooted in a in a brokenness of culture or a cultural understanding. Like this is what the Bible is saying is what is best for human flourishing. Um, so then we get to number four. So uh, the difference in roles. Okay. So we've really hit the equal in worth. The difference in roles, and we're, again, going back to the beginning here, God calls the husband to loving leadership. And I would add, like, I would say loving self-sacrificial leadership. Because, again, if the husband is to love and serve his wife as Christ loves the church, like, what Christ did for the church was he gave himself up for her. Like, Christ's expression of love was self-sacrificial leadership. Um, so that love is unconditional, it's sacrificial, protects, is caring. Um, I'd say this as well, like it's, it's a kind of love in leadership that draws out your wife, recognizing that she has a view, she has a voice, and she has a vote. Like this isn't some sort of authoritarian leadership where you're just like, I'm captain of the ship and I'm making the decisions and I'm doing this. It's like, dude, <laughs> you're better if you listen to your wife, like draw her out, like pull out her thoughts, her, her feelings, all of like her intuitions, her inclinations, like draw her out. Like she's got a view, get like amplify her voice. And you're like that, that was one of the things early on for us when we got married, like um, that I, I tried to really do cause Sarah would often like not give an opinion and it really bugged me, you know? Uh, one, because I'm really opinionated, so I'm like, how can you not have an opinion on this? Like, this is living in Chicago, and he'd be like, where do you want to go for dinner tonight? I'm like, I don't care. And he's like, I'm not choosing. <laughs> so you have to care. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like, like little things like that, but really like drawing it out, because I'm like, no, like, you have a view, you have a voice, and you have a vote in this. Like, mm -hmm. this isn't me. Don't just look, don't just think that because I'm the leader of our family that that means, well, I just unilaterally make all the decisions. It's like, gosh, I'm gonna make a lot of bad decisions if I don't really, really draw out my wife 
in that, you know, and, and highly, highly respect her as a godly woman who's indwelled by the Holy Spirit, who's been created with different gifts uh, that complement mine in a really fantastic way. Like, my decisions will be less beautiful without the complementing help of my wife. And so drawing that out, um, again, it's it, the, the loving self-sacrificial leadership is uh, me being the one to go to the compost pile most with my own preferences and my own opinion or my own whatever. Like, I'm going and I'm laying down as much as I can in that pile uh, for the sake of serving my wife and my kids. Um, it's that way with generosity, time, money, stuff like that. So what does God call the wife to? God calls the wife to respectful submission. <clears throat> and just a side note, after you know, hearing what Jake says the men are to be and to do, it is so much easier to respect a husband and to follow a husband's leadership when you're actually leading. And I'll just say it for every wife mm -hmm. or engaged woman in this room, like we want to be led. We want to follow a strong leader. So if that's your ditch that maybe you fall in, you're maybe a little bit more passive, we want to follow and we want to be led if you're confidently leading and there's no way we can submit to someone who's not leading. We can't follow someone who's not moving, you know. So for men, lead, lead your family and the wife will come along and submit and follow. And women, if you see your husband trying to lead, don't crush him. Like, let him lead and give him the wind in his sails to actually do it. Mm. So if... If he's trying something new, I'm trying to, I can't remember what it was, but if he's trying something new in your family, maybe like reading devotions with the kids or something, like make it a good thing, encourage him, don't nitpick, even if it's like a preferential, like, oh my gosh, she talked for half an hour and the kids were like, totally lost. Like, don't tell him that. Like, just encourage Hypothetically. him. <laughs> you don't, Obviously. You don't do that. I, that's a very specific, <laughs> my dad was that way. And yeah. my mom would be like, oh my gosh. <laughs> and I could just see it in his eyes. Like, oh, I guess I won't do that again. Because <laughs> when, you, when you say those little tiny things, it's just like, oh, I guess I won't lead or I did it wrong or whatever. So encourage him when he's trying to lead, give him that wind in the sails that he needs and then um, submit to his leadership when he is leading. Now, it's also really easy to submit when you feel heard and when you feel loved. So maybe, maybe you're the husband that maybe falls in the other ditch of you're gonna lead and just kind of like, I'm headed this direction and mm. you don't ever look behind you. Um, and maybe you need to just stop and look back and listen to your wife and listen to what she has to say. And that's what I've so appreciated about Jake's leadership is I've felt valued, I've felt heard. Um, and it's easier to, to follow someone who you know, okay, he heard me, I was able to voice what I think about the situation and maybe even if he's not going in that exact direction, at least I know that I was heard and I was able to voice my opinions. Um, this goes back to the values conversation. So we were trying to think of an example recently of maybe something that like Jake just had to say, okay, I hear you, but we're gonna have to go this route because 
you know, I need to choose a direction. There's been some times, but there hasn't been a lot. And I think that's because when you're on the same road as far as values, you've already talked about those big conversations. And if you value the same things, you're not going to have as many big deal trump card I'm going to have to leave the family because you've already agreed on those big values. Now, I'm not saying you're not going to ever disagree. We disagree all the time, but it's always mm. preferential things. Mostly. And this is where, so men are never called to, men are never called to make their wives submit. That's, that's never in scripture. Like wives submit to your husband. That's not, that's not husbands make your wives submit. That's not at all the thing. So again, that, that like trump card thing, it can be kind of a, a really bad joke where it's like, well, just submit, woman. It's like that has no place in biblical marriage. Um, and I would say this, like from from my standpoint, like as the leader of our home, I would I would ninety nine percent unless it, unless there's like a a threat of physical harm, like I'm going to slow down and wait to make a decision until we're really on the same page, then I'm gonna just run forward for the sake of expediency, for the sake of efficiency. Like, like guys, I think sometimes we're just kinda like, like we try to go the most efficient route. Like, how can I make this conversation the most efficient? How can I make this decision the most efficiently? How can I, uh, I, go, to, I go to the store, I know exactly what I want, I go right there, and then I get out. Like, window shopping's not really a thing, that's what the internet's for, like, I don't need that, you know? <laughs> Efficiency, I'm, I have to be willing to sacrifice the efficiency of a decision for the effectiveness of a decision. Mm-hmm. If, if it means bringing, bringing Sarah either along to like helping her understand and really uh, agree with my point of view on maybe a thing, or to know if we're really at odds with this, I might have something to learn here. And may, there may be parts of this that I need to change my view on kind of thing. So there you go. Guys, don't, don't make your wives submit to you that's not your role trust the holy spirit in her uh to lead her in that way so we got 10 minutes that went longer than i thought it would sorry um 10 minutes any any questions related to anything this is our only class with you guys so emily yeah That's a really great question, Emily. So I, I don't, I don't want to take too much from when you guys teach on money. So, yeah. but this is a good example for us. I think when we were creating our values list, our one of our like things that we had difference was money and how we valued money, giving, generosity, saving. Um, we just grew up in very different homes and for you who are already married you recognize that like you come and you realize like oh that's not normal what I thought was normal isn't normal Um, and so that was something that we had to work towards and I think it's just finding a healthy middle ground um, 
so if you're if you're talking money i grew up in a home that was like we give it all right now like just give it all away we're gonna be super generous but yet like maybe not the wisest in saving and jay grew up in a home that was like we want to be generous now but also like save for the future so that we can be even more generous and so when we brought that both to the table it was like i was like we're gonna just give it all away and oh we have 300 extra dollars at the end of the month like let's just who can we give that to and jake's going uh we've got like our future kids, kids maybe <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah we didn't have any kids at that point yeah. but, um, so it was like okay how can maybe maybe we can give some of it away and save some of it like mm. what's the healthy balance here in a value so but it is going to create it's going to create a conflict in that first conversation so that you can come to an agreement on your values so that the conflict doesn't keep happening because if you don't if you don't come to some sort of agreement now that like that conflict will continue to arise maybe one of you i mean the gym thing is a good example because sometimes it is like i don't really want you to go to the gym but i understand that like this is something that we know we need in our family and so i'm going to say yes because i value that so we've already talked about it <coughs> now it's not going to be an argument mm for the future, I don't know. Would you add something? Yeah, I'd say guys, die to yourself as much as humanly possible. In I mean, the values conversation? In, in the value, yeah. Like, now there are some things where it is preferential, you know, and that's where it's like, your compost pile might need to get upgraded, you know, a little bit in size, but, um, but then I would also say, uh, for the women, like, if your husband, as the leader of your home, highly, highly values something, um, that's also an opportunity to joyfully follow that leadership. Um, and you may find out along the line as you go down that path that, oh yeah, that was actually a really great way to go. Or you may find out down the line that it's like, wow, that was a, that was a mess. Like that was not great, and that's another opportunity to not play the "I told you so" card and to not. And hopefully, <laughs> man, it's it's a humbling thing as a guy to to admit that you were wrong and to turn around to and as much wind in the sails that you can give him to turn that ship around. Uh, don't be don't be blowing holes in in his boat and trying to sink him, you know, kind of thing. But yeah, it. It's a compromise kind of thing, yeah. It's also good when you go home this week and talk about values, start with the Bible. What does God say we should value as a family? And if your values are all about, like if you get to the end of it and don't make your values like huge because you won't be able to re remember them. Like five, six, like stick to like a simplified list. But if you look back at your list and you realize that it's all about you and each other's happiness you should probably start over again mm. because god god tells us what we should value as followers of jesus so we should value generosity we should value hospitality um so are your values aligned with what god calls us to mm. anything else that was a good question Thank <laughs> you.
but you're great at silence. I'm like, okay, I love, I'll just talk. I love awkward silences. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> How about engaged couples? Do you have any like, what about this? We're thinking through this as we set up our marriage. There's only three of you in here, so. I'll stare down at Emma. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the, for us, the, the values one was tremendously helpful. Now, it, it got tweaked along the way, because yeah, some of the things are hypothetical. It's like, okay, hypothetically, how do we want these values to look? And then when the rubber meets the road, it's like, ooh, that's what that actually looks like. I don't know if I like that. You know? And then you're going back to it and making tweaks along the way. But for us, like, at least starting that conversation, that was maybe, we didn't do that till probably two years into marriage. Um, and I think both of us at the time were, we didn't feel like the two years necessarily helped us in that conversation. We kind of more went like, I think this would have been helpful as early on as we possibly could, and then have the flexibility to change it along the way. Because mm -hmm. um, they're, they're, they're meant to like serve you, like they're not meant to be like these tyrants, you know, like, well, we had that conversation once and we said we valued this and now it's this, you know, tyrant dictator, like, it's like, no, you can tweak those along the way, but so long as you're both on the same page about it, that's the thing. Like, as long as you're on the same page about your values, um, that's the huge part. And on the same page about the tweaks, too. Uh, make those tweaks together as well. But, yeah, that's a, yeah, for you guys, you're, you're scrimmaging right now. So, you're a, it's a good place to be. Yeah. All right, so, um, if you think of something else along the way, either bring it to the next class session, uh, even if we're not the ones teaching it. Uh, Matt and Emily will have a lot of wisdom to give you, Adam and Christina as well, or feel free to shoot us a message uh, at any point. So next week, uh, it's on communication and conflict. More focused on that. Uh, and then read chapter five. So this first week of reading was the most reading you'll do for the class. So, but for next week, read chapter five, Go through the, the study guide, like the four class uh, sections, and then, yeah, Matt and Emily will be uh, helping you avoid every possible conflict you could ever have in your entire life. So, yeah, make sure you don't miss next week, because if you do, your life will be full of turmoil. Um, <laughs> but cool. Thanks so much for coming, guys. Uh, yeah, we'll see you next week.